This audio is from the Axis Church and is a part of our sermon series, In the Shadows, Discovering Christ in the Old Testament. For more information about Jesus or the Axis Vision in Nashville, go to theaxischurch.org. Good morning, I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis Church, and I'm thankful that you're here. Um, Thrilled to be able to be here with you. We're jumping into our fourth week in our new series, In the Shadows, where we're looking at discovering Christ in the pages of the Old Testament. So go ahead and turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. As you're turning to Genesis 12, I want to let you know a couple things going on you're invited to. Uh, First, the Axis is seven years old, uh, and so we're going to be celebrating God's faithfulness as we celebrate the Axis anniversary celebration on Sunday, October 9th. You're going to hear more about that. It's basically a picnic in the park over here, uh, kickball, cornhole, throwing around some football. Um, it's going to be an exciting time of fellowship. Uh, just being thankful that the Axis Church is still going forward and that we haven't messed up um, so royally yet that Jesus can't continue to work with us and uh, carry us through. So it is truly a miracle of God's grace that we are who we are and that we're doing what we're doing. Uh, We just want to celebrate his faithfulness on the 9th of October. I also want to invite you to join me tonight at 8th Avenue Missionary Baptist Church here in Germantown as I've been asked uh, to preach there. Uh, It's a privilege that I have, and I'm I'm inviting you. You have been invited by Pastor Cordell Simpson uh, to join Uh, him there with his congregation as they kick off a a week of revival this week, a week of renewal. And uh, tonight's the opening night, seven o'clock. They've asked our musicians to provide music and uh, for me to preach. And I'll be doing so. So be praying for me um, on that. I'll be preaching the Good Samaritan. And um, just beautiful to see what God's doing with racial reconciliation within our church, within our churches, in our neighborhood, um, within Nashville. It's, uh, it's incredible to see just how faithful God is at working um, in and through our church and, uh, and our neighborhood in that. So be praying for that. Um, so Genesis 12, and as we begin here, as I have the last three weeks, um, I, I want to start with uh, a basic understanding of reading and, and knowing how to interpret a little bit of the Old Testament. You see, the Bible is written with a trajectory in mind. It's written with one storyline, one meta-narrative, grand narrative. Uh, It's not taken in 66 separate books, nor really two divided testaments, but it's one whole, all right? And it's all in one big story, and the story is, I can simply uh, put it this way for me to to remember it, Uh, it's four, four parts of one big story, creation, fall, redemption, recreation. Creation, fall, redemption, recreation. So that means really no matter what page of the Bible you land on, no matter what book of the Bible, no matter what uh, human author uh, perhaps penned it, uh, it's all about one of those stages or a collection of those uh, four stages that Scripture's written in. Um, It's creation, fall, redemption, recreation. Uh, It's one seamless book in this. And so what this means in part is that the Old Testament stories that we get to read and we're focusing on over these 13 weeks together, that they don't just give us role models, they don't give us heroes to look at, but, but we get a picture of Jesus long before Matthew. We get a picture of the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, 
uh, the one who will make all things right, the great redeemer, the grand rescuer. We get to see him in some sort of taste, appetizer, um, like, a, like a shadow, a foreshadowing of the Christ we get to see in the pages of the Old Testament. So we get to learn about the true and better heroes. We've looked at Adam. We've looked at David when he faced Goliath. We've looked at Noah and the ark. And now we're looking at Abraham today. So let's look at Jesus, the hero, through the lens of Abraham and Isaac. Let me pray for us and we'll get busy in Genesis 12. Got some work to do. Lord, thank you for this uh, radical privilege and grace it is to, Lord, to be a recipient of your saving work to to be a Christian and to be a preacher and to be able to do what I'm about to do here, uh, believing it. Lord, thank you for that radical grace. Thank you for making me a Christian. Uh, Lord, thank you for giving us this opportunity to hear your gospel proclaimed, knowing that there's millions around the world that have never heard what we have the privilege of hearing now this morning. So Lord, as this is preached and this is read and this is heard, received. Lord, would you allow it to go beyond just our, our mere ears and hearing, our mere eyes and seeing? Lord, would you, would you let us hear and see you so deeply that we experience you, that something within our heart and soul is affected and changed because of what you miraculously and yet mysteriously do in this moment? Lord, do this for us, please. I ask this in your name because I know that it is only something you can handle that we can't do ourselves. And I know that this is in the wheelhouse of things that, that you love to do. So do this for us now, I pray. Amen. Amen. So summarizing things up to Genesis 12, you know, man set himself up to be the authority in his life. And, and you know, we've looked at sin uh, before here at Axis as uh, choosing to do your own thing in your own way. And this is what Adam and Eve did, and this is what all the, their, their children and their children's children did generation after generation, uh, trying to silence the voice of God, the, the love of God in a sense. And so after the fall, because of sin, man began this fierce downward spiral away from God and away from any concern for the things that might honor God. The wickedness of humanity grew and grew to the extent that God had to purify the earth by sending the great flood. That's what we looked at last week as Jesus being the greater Noah and Jesus being the greater ark. Well, after the flood, Noah and his family, they being sinners, they brought sin out of the ark with them. And they began to build the descendants of Abraham, Ham, uh, Japheth, and Shem, his sons, they have children, they have children. Again, you see the same spirit that's at work in Eve and Adam as they wanted to be superior and great. You see this happening with the Tower of Babel. They wanted to set themselves up to have a great city and a great tower reaching into the heavens, trying to make them a great name, someone to be admired and worshiped. And they did this independent of God. They actually were doing in this act, they were asserting themselves against God is what the pages of scripture tell us. They were boasting in their own power. Yet God intervenes and he confuses their one language at the time into many. 
and he scatters them based on their language groups. He scatters them around the whole earth. Again, this is the Tower of Babel. You might have heard about it. Well, this is where we're picking up here today. We're going to see God's continuation of his plan that he announced back in the Garden of Eden. Remember, God said that there would be this struggle, this enmity between his people and the people of the world who, like Adam and Eve and the builders of the Tower of Babel, they want to live as if God is no big deal. They want to live making themselves their, their own saviors. But today we're going to see God intervene in a way that he hasn't yet to this point. He's going to do something that, that is quite different in redemptive history. Here we're going to see God begin to form a people, a group for himself, save a people to himself. And he starts by calling a man named Abram, whose name is changed, as we'll see, to Abraham. Now remember, after mankind's sin, mankind placed themselves under this curse, under, this, under the authority and power and dominion and influence of sin and death and Satan. But now God comes in and he begins to make this other seed, this other group of people and free them from sin, free them from the tyranny of Satan and from the dominion of death. So how's his plan? What's his first step here? Post Tower of Babel, he's going to call a 75-year-old man, Abram. We'll pick this up in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go out from your country, go out from your kindred, go out from your father's house to the land that I will show you. You don't know it. I'll show it to you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. It's interesting that that's what the Tower of Babel guys, that's what, that's what they were after. It's a great name. And yet here Jesus is giving this to Abram, if Abram would but trust and follow in him, not doing his own thing in his own way, but doing God's thing in God's way. Okay. He said, I will make your name great. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make your name great and grow your influence in your family so that you will be a blessing. You need to know that Christian. We've been shown grace in order to show grace to others. We've been blessed in order to bless others. More on that in a moment. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed in some way. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. God speaks to Abram. He calls him out. We know nothing about this man except his lineage starts with Noah and then Shem. And then nine generations later, here comes Abram out of nowhere. God faithfully doing his work on earth, faithfully working his plan. God is calling Abram to separate himself from his pagan culture, from his sinful existence. He would have to leave his country, his people, everything, everything familiar. He would have to step out by faith, leaving everything familiar. He would have to follow God by faith. Now, this was a call to, to go travel 1,100 miles away from home. That's, that's significant. I mean, they didn't have smartphones, GPS, or cars. This, this wasn't easy. This wasn't simple. This was radical. But God loves to enter into his created world and make promises 
and keep them and follow through on them. And that's what he's doing here. Abram was called to leave the pagan country and the land of sinners, those who did not consider God, those who tried living their self-sufficient lives, lives that existed just for them to become great in their own name. He had to leave this all behind and grab onto something new and entirely different. And he didn't know all that was involved. The call of Abram here is a, is a new turning point in the history of, of us, the history of humanity. As we begin to see more of this promised plan of God unfold, and it will unfold until Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the fulfillment of the shadows shows up. So more time passes. Flip over to Genesis 15, if you don't mind. More time passes as Abraham struggles to believe God. There's, there's sin, there's deceit, there's confusion, there's fear in the pages that you're passing over to get to Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? I hear you talking about making me a big name, but I'm childless. I have no children. And the only heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And he's a hired hand. He's just a, just a servant in my home. He's not family, but it's written in my will for him to get all that I have. And Abram said, behold, you've given me, given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought Abram outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. One of the more miraculous things here that I find in scripture are the next few words. And he believed the Lord. An old man with a barren wife is told that is going to be the number of children that he's going to have. And he believed him. And he counted it to him as righteousness. God counted it to Abram as righteousness. His simple belief was counted to him as righteousness. That's grace. Abram had no ability to produce a child. And this was utterly devastating in this particular culture. I mean, keeping your lineage going was so important to your identity, worth, and value in the community. Looking up into the sky at the stars, man, those, promise, those promises and those words from God were so far from fulfillment. Many children, but were barren. A promised land, yet were wanderers. A promised great name in a nation and an old wife who's barren. Would God keep his promise? Could God follow through and deliver in the way that he says he wants to? Is he able to? Can he really provide on what he said he can do? 
I mean, to look up into the sky and all those stars, understanding the, the state that, that Abram is in would be depressing. Yet he believed God. And that belief changed everything about his situation, though his situation had yet to be changed. He believed God because of a promise that God gave him in 15.1. Do not be afraid. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. The very one who created those stars, hung those stars, the very one who spoke galaxies into being, the very one who created and sustains the existence of mankind, he's the one who says, you will be fruitful, you will be a blessing. Therefore, you will be fruitful and you will be a blessing. Don't, don't put your inability on what God says can happen. Don't put just at what's your resources uh, as, the, as a limit to what God can figure out and what God can do. He doesn't understand those limitations. Where he says he's, what he says he's going to do, he will do as we will see. This belief in God that Abram had, that the belief that he had in the promises of God is counted to him as righteousness. Now that righteousness was accredited to him. It was given to his account. He hadn't earned it. It was gifted. Abram trusted. He trusted not in what he had done, nor what he could do, because he would still be limited by that. He trusted in what God had said, and he trusted in what God could do. Now, in this way, Abram is treated just like you are in the gospel of Jesus. The gospel doesn't tell you to go do this and go do that. The gospel doesn't tell you to stop doing this and stop doing that. That's not the gospel. That's moralism. That might make you feel, make you feel better than the person beside you. But it's not going to make you righteous. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, God, through Jesus Christ, has done everything for you. God's love is not based on your performance. God's love towards you, his attention for you, his guidance of you is based on the performance of Jesus. The gospel doesn't tell you do. The gospel tells us done, finished, accomplished. Faith in this is what changes everything. And faith in that is what makes one a Christian. So are you a Christian? Then you believe in the perfect, finished, completed work of Jesus Christ. And it is what you rely in, rely on, hope in, and hope on. That's everything for you. If you're a Christian. Flip over, if you will, a few more to Genesis 17. Genesis chapter 17. 24 years later. 24 years later. Do, do this for me if you don't mind, just to set perspective. If you don't mind doing this. If you're 24 years and younger, raise your hand. Raise it high. Okay, your life passes, okay, from when Abram was told he was going to be a father. And he was old already. 24 years. He was 75. 24 years later. Still nothing, 
except words. When Abram was 99 years old, 24 years later, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Man, I would love for those of you in this room who are unbelievers, nothing on, nothing in my world would make me any happier than for God to speak to you and say, I am God Almighty. And let you be shaken to your core and call out to him by faith to be saved by the strong one. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant, my eternal promise between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And Abram fell on his face. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to hear these stories and read these words and attach us emotionally in the story. But imagine how weary, how old, how just elderly this man is physically. Imagine how emotionally torn he is. I mean, he falls heavy to the ground, carrying the weight of age physically, the weight of the emotional toil of hearing from God again, yet seeing nothing, nothing. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, look, look, my covenant is with you. It is. And you'll, you'll be a father. You're going to be a daddy. You're going to be a father of a multitude of nations, not just a father of children, but a father of groups of children scattered of nations. No longer will your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations and I will make you fruitful. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I just can't help but know, I know that on God's mind as he's speaking this, he's knowing that from him will come the king of all kings, Jesus Christ. Who will be enthroned forever and ever. But he just lets him in on this much. Kings shall come from you. And I will firmly establish and put in place my covenant between you and your uh, between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to be God to you your offspring after you and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings you don't have a land you will have a land all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God words Would God keep this promise? Time's ticking. Could God really make this happen at this point? It was doubtful like 24 years ago. 99 years old, a barren wife, that's in the category of impossible. 
But when God's involved, he knows no limitation like that. He does keep his promise. Flip over a couple more to Genesis 21. Genesis 21, starting in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah, the wife of Abraham at this point. Abraham, not Abram. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. No matter what it is that God has called you to do or led you to do, no matter what vision it is that he's given you for the purpose of your life as far as what you're to accomplish in your time here on earth, if it doesn't happen in ways that you might think, it doesn't mean he's absent or unconcerned with you. He's faithful and he's good. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah, just as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the time of which God had spoken to him, Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. God kept his promise with Abraham. God's redemptive work to gather a people for his own possession was set in place with Abraham, and it continued on through Abraham's son, Isaac. You see, Jesus Christ is the great and sure. It is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Jesus is the one in whom we are able to experience God, the one who has permanently made things right with God for us. The one who guarantees us the reality of our everlasting covenant where we are God's everlasting possession. Through Jesus, we have the needed transformation and the required renewals now possible. Just as Isaac made possible the covenant, so Jesus makes possible the greater covenant that that one was pointing towards. Jesus himself being the fulfillment of that very covenant. And so through Jesus being the greater Abraham, God changes something about everything. You see, sin and the fall that separated us from God is no longer an impossible barrier. Not a people has become a people. Cursed becomes blessed. Orphaned becomes adopted. Dead becomes alive. The marred image of God becomes the restored image of God. Jesus changes these things. Stone becomes flesh. Bones become living, breathing bodies. Death becomes life. Strangers become partakers, members. Aliens become fellow citizens. Hostility and fear becomes peace. Separated becomes reconciled. Sinners become saints. No hope becomes all hope. No God becomes my God, our God. Far off has now become near. No access to God becomes free, bold access to the Father. Jesus changed all of this for us. He made it a reality for us to inherit and experience and hope in this to be true for us. Jesus is the greater Abraham. 
I mean, when, when Abraham was living in the land of his father, God came to him and basically said, Abram, I'm sending you on a mission to a place to start a new people. I'm going to gather a new portion of humanity to bless the world. Abraham then left his father's house as God commanded, giving birth to the nation of Israel. Like Abraham, Jesus left his father's house. He came to the fallen, broken world, and Jesus came to be a blessing by setting up a new humanity through faith in his finished work for us. And I find here three observations and a twist in the story. First, the three observations. One, God gave us Jesus as the promised offspring. God gave us Jesus as the promised offspring. God promised Abram that from him, from his seed, from his, someone in his family, it would, it would come to rescue and bless. Well, this is ultimately speaking of Jesus. This, this blessing was more than material, physical possessions. It was, even, it was even not just merely considering children, people. It was speaking of union with God, joining with God in friendship eternally. Second observation here is God's people are saved by grace through faith. Grace through faith. Abraham's belief in God is what was accounted to him as righteousness. You see, righteousness is what is needed in order to be in relationship with God. And on our own, we are the complete opposite of righteous. We are entirely unrighteous. And to make matters worse for our case, we can never be good enough on our own to be considered truly and 100% purely complete righteous. Yet that is what is required. We, we can't work hard enough to earn this. We can't do enough good to deserve this. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone in his son, Jesus Christ alone. And so the gospel was a call to faith, to hope in God, to rely on God, to believe in Jesus Christ and his finished work for us. Believing in the one who lived a righteous life for us and earned us righteousness before God. Saved by grace through faith. The third observation here is God's mission continues through the church. God's mission continues through the church. Just as God called Abraham to be a blessing to nations, so now the church has been called out to be a blessing to the nations, to be of benefit to the nations around the world, to be of benefit to your friends and neighbors across the street and at your, at your places of work, employment, your schools, your families. Your purpose is to be a blessing to these people, to, to, be, to practically benefit them. We are to treat others in such a way that they get a taste of God here on earth. They get a, they get a personal look into, into what the community uh, and the culture of heaven will be like. So the question then is, what God do they see? And what heavenly culture do they get to experience when they see you? What God do they get when they watch you respond to things on social media? Of things happening in our nation and in our world. 
What God do they see when, when they're witnessing what happens when your order isn't perfect at your restaurant? What God do they see when they see your reaction of someone jumping in line in front of you or pulling out their car in front of you or bragging on someone else's child and overlooking your own child and you think your child's Jesus? What God do they see? What heavenly culture do they experience when you respond and you voice words in a given room? What vibe comes out because of you being in that room responding the way you respond? You're to be a blessing. Abraham wasn't a blessing himself. He was the medium that God used to bless other people. So Christian, you're the means and the medium by which God blesses the people of the earth, the people of Nashville, the people of the world that he's bringing to Nashville, the people of the world, your coworkers, your neighbors. We're not the blessing as much as we're the, as the conduit and the channels that God is working through to bless other people. We're not to be pawns. We're not to be cul-de-sacs. We're to be channels and conduit that God uses to speak to other people, to bless others, to give people a, just a snapshot. This is what heaven's going to be like. This is what Christianity is. God desires to work through us for others, just as he worked through Abraham for others. Now, as God promised Abraham to lead and guide him, God promises us, the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us to live lives on mission. We're to live sent lives on mission that blesses the people of Nashville, that blesses the world. And so this means that we live life differently, that we should. Abraham began living as a pilgrim. He began living as a wanderer, sojourner, a stranger to the world. This is what happens when you begin to take your life and live it on mission. And this life lived on mission is fueled by a growing knowledge and appreciation of God's unchanging love for you through the finished work of Jesus. So, so based on this, Axis family, let's, let's hang loosely to the things of this life. And let's hold fast to Jesus Christ and what he calls us to do. Let's hold fast to God. Let's not live for something that rust can destroy or that flood or fire can take. Don't live for something that can be changed so quickly or shaken and broken. Hold fast and live your life in obedience to the God of the ages and what he's calling us to do. Let's dream of ways together, individually, corporately. Let's dream of ways that we can be a blessing as a sent people to the city of Nashville, of Middle Tennessee, and around the world. But do you trust that God can do his thing through you? Again, is it just words? Or are you practically believing that he can do it to where you actually step out by faith and begin living this way? Will he do it? Can he do it? You see, there's a twist. Abraham knew God would bless him, and he did. He gave him Isaac, his son. But one day, God asked Abraham to do the most horrific thing imaginable. God told Abraham to give God his son, Isaac. Look with me. Go to Genesis 22. 
After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I'll tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy, probably about 10, 12, 14 years old, I and the boy will go over there and we're going to worship and we're going to come back to you. Worship. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Daddy, he said, Here I am, son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I mean, imagine what Abraham's thinking here. The intensity had to be growing and growing. Abraham said, God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son. And then laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, the one whose promise, he would be the fulfillment of the promise of God. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. Do not touch the boy. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do, do nothing to him. For I now know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. In this act, Abraham is proving to himself more than anyone else. Proving to himself that he'd be willing to put obedience to God before anything else, before any commitment, before any emotional attachment, and imagine being Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of God, years later, hearing of this story being read aloud, knowing that their very lives hang in the balance. The future of millions was contingent upon that boy living. His, his death and his life is at the plot of the story. And here is Isaac, a second away from death. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket like the thorns by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of in the place of as substitute for his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. Do you trust that God can provide? Do you trust that he will? Even if, even if God might not do it in ways that you personally see as an option? 
faith? Do you believe God? Do you trust him? Do you hope in him? Do you rely on him? You see, God provides a lamb for the burnt offering so Isaac, Israel, God's people can live. And when God gives this lamb, he's provided with ransom that's required for Isaac's redemption. Hundreds of years later, God provides his very own son whom he loved. He provides his son Jesus as the final once and for all ransom that's required for your redemption. The ram caught is a type of Christ. Jesus is our substitutionary lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And I believe when God provided a lamb as a ransom for Isaac, that God knew that that was just a mere foretaste. That was just a shadow of when God would give his own son, his only son, to set his people free. Jesus is the one given to be the sacrifice that would end all sacrifices, the once and for all sacrifice. And he took care of what was our responsibility through his perfect life there as he gave his life on the cross. And God accomplished the unthinkable. God did what he did not allow Abraham to do. God walked with his son, Jesus, from Nazareth to Jerusalem from Gethsemane to Golgotha. And he gave him up to be killed and slaughtered in order to save his people from their sin. God gave his only son so that if you would just believe, you would not die, but you would live forever. God has provided. God provided sinners with a sufficient land to take care of what they deserve taking on their punishment. The Son, Jesus Christ, paid this in full on Calvary, but so did the Father. The Father paid a price. In mystery beyond mystery, God is silent as Jesus, His Son, cries out from the wooden cross, My God, my God, why have you left me and abandoned me and forsaken me? He did this so that you would never feel that. He did that so you would only know him as father, never distant, always near. It was on the cross where God will provide became God has provided. And he did this for you. And in that act of God's representative and substitutionary work on your behalf, he looked at Jesus as if he had lived your life full of sin. And he looks now at you as if you had lived the life of Jesus, perfect and without sin. So that now in the mind and judgment of God, you are perfect and you are now judged as acceptable to be in relationship with him. You're good enough. You're justified. There's nothing you can do to change that. What grace that is. So God can be trusted. God can provide. He will provide. He has provided. Friends, you're not responsible to figure out how all things in your life are to fit together. That's God, and he's working things out according to plan. You're responsible to trust him, to respond to him, to have faith in him, to depend upon him, to seek him for wisdom and guidance, regardless of what you may think or even fear. 
trust him. Even if it seems unthinkable, even if it seems risky, trust him, follow him. Don't try to figure it all out, trust him. And in those moments where it's very, very difficult to believe, ask God for belief. Ask him for faith. Ask him, say, God, I find it difficult. I believed you here and I know you delivered. I didn't believe you here and yet you still delivered, you provided. But this seems, it's beyond, it's, it's beyond possibility. But, but if you would just give me the faith, I want to trust you. I want to take that step of faith. I want to do this thing. I, I want to go where you told me to go. I want to do what you've called me to do. But you've got to provide me the faith needed to follow you in obedience. Tell him that. Now, church, we have the joy of celebrating the fact together here in communion that God has provided. We're going to take bread and we're going to dip it in juice or wine. Body of Christ represented by the bread is perfect life. His sacrifice for us with the image of the, the juice or the wine. And as you come and you take and you dip it, I'm asking you to do this today. I'm asking you to think through this today in this way. I want you to come and take it, and I want you to be thinking, God has provided for me, and God will continue to provide for me. Give me the faith to believe this. Do that. Do that. If, if you don't mind, do that together. Do that as we come and take this. Say, God, as you take it, be telling yourself, God's provided for me. This is what this is a picture of, that God has provided I mean, if you trust him with your eternity and doubt if he cares about today, then I doubt you trust him for eternity. That's a lot bigger deal. Take it and tell yourself, God has provided and God will provide. Give me faith to believe. Let's do this together. Let me pray for our time and our servers can make ready for us. Jesus, thank you for being obedient to the Father, stepping out of your home to come to our broken world and to work in such a way that we can now know your home as our ultimate home and your father as our own father. God, thank you for this. God, thank you for sending your son to us. Spirit, thank you for being, Lord, the, the tool and the work and the power that works in our hearts to change us from orphan to adopted, from forgotten to son and daughter, from enemy to family. Lord, thank you for doing this through your spirit. Lord, hear the, hear the prayer of your people this morning at Axis. Lord, that we're, we're, we're stating as a family here that you have provided and that you will provide. And we're asking you that you would give us faith to believe that you'll continue to provide for us individually and corporately. This is what we're asking, that you would do this in our hearts. And Lord, for those who are on the outside of this covenant, those who are on the outside of the, the Christian faith, the skeptics, the doubters, the agnostics, atheists that are here in the room, Lord, would, would you speak to their hearts and tell them that you are God Almighty. And beyond what is considered possible, into the realm of what is unthinkable, would you just save them today? Shock them with concern for you. You did it with me. Every Christian that's in this room, you've done it to us. Why not them? 
We're asking you to do this. Do this for those in this room who have families that are unbelievers. And it's so weary as we, as we talk to them on the phone and at reunions, when we talk to them about what's going on here in Nashville in our church, it just seems so disconnected and it's like they're a rub. Would you just save them today? And give us phone calls from relatives just saying they're getting baptized. Lord, do this. My goodness, how encouraging this would be. Now be with those that we work with in the same way. Be with all those that you're bringing into our lives. Let us be vocal to tell of the goodness that's found in you. And see them saved and baptized. God, do this for your glory and our fun and joy as we get to participate in your redemptive work and the salvation of people in Nashville and around the world. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You can come when you're ready.